the book of Acts, chapter 22. And we shall read from verse 8. Acts 22, at the 8th verse. And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spoke to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus. And there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Especially the first part of the eighth and the first part of the tenth. But who art thou, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? And what shall I do? It will be allowed, of course, by all that um, the conversion of all of Tartarus there was. Um, a very important actor in the early history of Christianity. And this we say is allowed by both the friends and the foes of the gospel. The story is told of two learned who took it upon themselves to prove that Christianity was false. So each one was to take a topic and examine it and show how false it was. And of course, with such an end in view, they chose topics that went to the very heart of Christianity. Uh, the one was to take the West of the North. He was to gather all that he could about it and then uh, set it forth in such a way to prove that it was nothing better than an old wise tale. And the other was to take the conversion of Paul, or sought the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, and show that there was nothing in his conversion, if there had been such a thing, nothing but hallucination. You are aware, of course, that um, Skeptics, ancient and modern, have not hesitated to say that uh, 
on his way to Damascus that uh, Saul of Tarsus must have had something like um, an epileptic fit or something like that. That is a favorite uh, explanation of the um, radical change that took place in his life. But these two men who had set themselves out to prove that uh, the resurrection was false and that there was nothing in the conversion of, of Saul but um, hallucinations, as they delved into the matter, <clears throat> they became more and more doubtful of their skepticism. And after prolonged study, they both came to the conclusion that both the resurrection of the Lord and the conversion of Paul were not fables, but facts. And both ended by preaching the faith which they once tried to destroy. Reminds us of the words, those who came to scoff turned aside to pray. All of which bears out what we have said that the conversion of Saul of Tarsus is an important factor in the early history of Christianity. Now we have three accounts of that conversion in the book of Acts. And uh, some of you may have been perplexed uh, with um, the verbal differences in the accounts. For instance, in the ninth chapter where uh, Luke gives uh, his conversion we read that we read in the seventh verse and the men which journeyed with him stood speechless hearing a voice but seeing no man hearing a voice but seeing no man and here we read and they that were with me saw indeed the light and were, were afraid but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me in the ninth chapter we read they that were with me heard the voice and here we read they heard not the voice that speak to me. Of course, there is no disagreement there. There is far less a, a, a contradiction. We have something similar to this in the twelfth chapter of the Gospel according to John. <clears throat> we read there that Jesus prayed saying Father glorify thy name and a voice came from heaven saying 
I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And some of those who stood by said, It thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. How could they say that it thundered? Because, of course, they heard a noise, but they didn't understand the words that were spoken. And that is precisely what Paul here means when he says they heard not the voice. That is, they understood not what was said. They knew not if anything had been said. They heard a noise. And that is what he means here, what he means here when he says, they heard the voice. That is, they heard the noise, but they didn't hear the words that I heard. So when he says, they heard it, he means, of course, that they heard the noise. When Luke says that they didn't hear it, he means that they didn't understand what was said. That's all. We have always to bear in mind that the Bible is literature. It is not a textbook of geometry. It is literature. Sacred literature, true literature, but literature. We don't find the same, we don't find different accounts of the same matter given in exactly the same words. Of course not. Because the writer is free and he chooses the part of the incidents which he records that fit in the purpose he has in hand. Why did Paul in one place say, for instance, that this happened? And another place emphasized something entirely different. Why? Because, of course, the circumstances were different. The situation, the situations were different. He wanted to emphasize more certain aspects at one time than he did at other times. The Bible is literature. That's an old adage, of course. Perhaps we approach it thinking that everything, everything should be said in the same words and that all the words should be used over and over again. That's not the way the Spirit works at all. But all the accounts are equally true. All the words are equally inspired. Nevertheless, we do get accounts of the same thing that differ. That differ in their phraseology, that differ in their emphasis. But it would be the height of nonsense to say that because they differ in that way, that there is a disagreement far less a contradiction between them. <clears throat> this then <clears throat> is what we have of the, of the facts of the conversion of Paul. But there is one thing in which there is no difference. And that is the very wording of the first question which Saul of Tarsus asks. 
when the light shone round about him, brighter than the light of the sun. When he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? His immediate response is, Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou? In saying this, he is not seeking for any credentials. <clears throat> The brightness of the light and the power of the voice makes him thoroughly convinced of one that whoever this is is one who has divine power and divine authority. Who is this? Of the greatness and the glory of the person, he has no room for doubt. Now, if the answer had come, I am the Lord of glory, that is precisely what Paul would have expected. If the answer had come, I am Jehovah, the God of Israel. That would be in keeping with the precedence of the case. But it is impossible for us to realize the shock that Paul's whole system received when he heard the words, Not I am the Lord of glory, not I am Jehovah, but I am Jesus of Nazareth. I am Jesus of Nazareth. This very name which was despised, this very name which was everywhere spoken against. That is the name that comes out from the excellent glory. I am Jesus of Nazareth. In a sense, from that shock, Saul of Tarsus never recovered. This is what changed the whole current of his life, and we certainly do grave prejudice to the account of his conversion if we forget this aspect of shock which it had for him as he heard the name Jesus of Master. You remember himself mentioning it in another, <clears throat> in another place. I thought within myself that I ought to do many things against this name. 
This name had been cast out as evil. It had been trodden underfoot. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one who had been done to death for presuming to say that he was the Son of God. This is the one who had been condemned by the Sanhedrin on the charge of blasphemy. And with that condemnation, Saul of Tarsus was in full agreement. That's why he says, I thought within myself that I ought to do many things, all that he could against this name. He was more zealous than his contemporaries for the traditions of his fathers. And here his intellectual acumen comes to the fore. Even here we see it. In what? He was persuaded beyond all others, at least beyond all others of whom we have account. He was persuaded beyond all others that there was a fundamental cleavage between the tradition of the fathers and Christianity as taught by Christ and the apostles. Not a cleavage in the sense of separation, but he saw from the very beginning that the continuation of the ceremonial law and the preaching of Jesus of Nazareth were incompatible. He saw that as a Pharisee, and certainly he saw it, and saw it more and more clearly as an apostle. That is why you find his polemic against the Judaizers, his argument against those who would mix law and gospel, that's why you find his polemic so sharp. Yea, in some, in some points we may say vitriolic. He has absolutely no compassion for the concision. None whatsoever. He realizes that there is a basic incompatibility between justification by law and justification by grace. And he knew that from the beginning. And that is one of the reasons his mental clarity, his intellectual insight, 
why he was so bitter against this nay. He saw and saw clearly that justification by works and justification by grace were utterly and basically incompatible. Now, when he hears the word, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And when the charge is added, whom thou persecutest. That, of course, for all time broke the grounds, broke the backbone of his legalism. That, for all time, took the ground from under his feet as to his confidence in his works for his justification, for his salvation. This was the first blow it received, at least the first effective one. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. the reaction is so wonderful but it is given in such a way that we are apt to overlook it the next time Saul of Tarsus addresses Jesus of Nazareth he addresses him knowingly as Lord when he said who art thou Lord he didn't know who this was. He didn't know what answer he was to receive. He was conscious of the brilliance of the light. And he was still reeling under the power of the voice. Who art thou? I am Jesus of Nazareth. was cast out as evil is now addressed as Lord and Saul knew what he was saying many people addressed them Jesus as Lord and I don't know what they said that was not the case with Saul of Tarsus the word has all its meaning every shade of its meaning and this is the word that is used in the new testament to translate the dread name jehovah in the old testament who art thou lord he didn't know then but when he spoke again he knew that he was addressing jesus of nazareth what will have me to do what shall I do Lord 
know that. What is important, <clears throat> among other things, in this incident, is the order of the questions. Not merely the questions themselves, but their order. Who art thou? What shall I do? Remember the who comes before the what. What has to be determined first of all is the identity of the speaker, the identity of Jesus, who he is, what he is. Who art thou? Now most people start at the wrong end. Without asking the question, who art thou? They become preoccupied with the other one. What shall I do? Now that is very natural indeed. What shall I do? Tell me what, shall I, what I shall do. Let me go on and do something. Oh, that's, that's human nature all over. That's the way it reasons heaven is high. Give us a program. Give us something to do. Ah, uh, well, but that, that, that's not the order of scripture. What has first of all to be definitely settled, and settled for all time and for all eternity, is who Now we know that no man can say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but through the Holy Ghost. No man can say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but through the Holy Ghost. People may profess what they like, but they cannot, in their heart that is, they cannot truly say that Christ is Lord, but through the Holy Ghost. He must be revealed from heaven. The glory of his person in some measure must shine into the heart. The confession, or the first part of the confession of the true believer is this, the what the Christ, the Son of the living God. The what? The Savior of the lost. The what? The Messiah. Thou art the king of Israel. Who art thou? Now that question must be settled before we come on to the next one. What shall I do? Now have you settled this question? Or rather has it been settled for you? In your own mind. Has the voice ever come from the excellent glory? I am Jesus of Nazareth. 
done that. We have to we have to follow the order here. Usually, the full title of the Savior is the, the full title that's given in the Scripture. I mean, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. That is a wonderful title in itself. Surpassingly wonderful. The Lord Jesus Christ. And when the scriptures use the term Lord in that connection, it is to show for the complete Lordship of Jesus Christ. His absolute Lordship. He reigns over all. You see, as we approach this title, and as we approach the person whose title this is, we have to follow the order. Now, Paul wasn't for a moment dubious about the Lordship of Christ once he spoke to him from heaven. That is the way he addresses him first of all. Lord, Lord. Nor was he dubious about his authority. That is that he, be, that, that he had a right to say what he said. That he had all power. All authority. And that's what we have in the word Christ. As you know, the word Christ means anointed one. He who is set apart to a certain office, to, a, to accomplish a certain work, that is Christ. As we had occasion to point out more than once, Christ is not a proper name. That is, it's not the name of a person. It's a title. It's the Messiah. It's the Greek form of the term Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew and Greek and Christ is the Greek form of the same word. Meaning the anointed one. That's why you have in the translation you have the, the definite article with the word Christ. The what? The Christ. The what? The anointed one. The one set apart. Set apart by whom? By the Lord God Almighty. So that Lord, he knows power, Lordship, Christ denotes authority. That is, that he has a right to do what he does. And Jesus is the personal name. And as you know, Jesus means Savior. Savior. The Savior who has all authority and power. Jesus Christ, the Savior. All authority and all power 
in heaven and on earth. Now coming into contact with this Pope and recognizing this authority, the question arises, who is this? Who is it? Who has this power and this authority? Who but Jesus of Nazareth? The lowly Jesus who was born in a low condition. His humiliation consists in this, that he was born and that in a low condition, made under the, under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life. This is Jesus, he who was born in a low condition. He who took bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Because the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he likewise also took part of the same. And in doing so was born in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross, who was bent and continued under the power of death for a time. This is the historic, the historic Jesus. This is the Jesus of history. This is the Jesus of revelation. This is the Jesus of faith. I am Jesus. I am a savior and my lordship and my my authority I use to this end. He is Lord, he is Christ, that he may be Jesus, a savior, able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God by him. I am Jesus, I am the Savior, the Savior of the lost, the shepherd of the sheep, who laid down his life that the sheep might live, that they might be gathered into one fold, into one flock, and glorified together without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I am Jesus. I am the Savior, and this is the most blessed word that heaven it, itself has to speak to us in. The sweetest word that can be spoken to us in and as such, I am Jesus, I am the Savior, who art thou? I am the Savior. Has your own soul heard? 
maybe in very tender accents. That's how it would, would, would hurt in any case. Maybe even in a whisper. As your own soul ever heard these words. I am Jesus. I am the Savior. Able to save to the uttermost. I am this. And then, of course, if you have the immediate response of your whole being is this. What will I do, Lord? What will I do? Because the people, the Church of God, is saved not by good works, but unto good works. What will I do? That's the language of gratitude. That is the language of subjection. That is the language of one who has been subdued. Subdued to Jesus. Recognizing him as the Lord of his life. And the disposer of his destiny. Who art thou? What shall I do? See that you will keep these questions in that order. The who before the what. Don't get into the morass of doing without knowing who you are served. This is the sweetness of the serve. That it is service to him who is Jesus. 